Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello, and thanks for listening today. We always are glad to have you here. Normally, we're a call-in show, but today we're coming to you by tape. We've got a really good show today, by the way. Uh, and so don't try to call in, but we'll be, we will be back live again next week. Uh, today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Sam Figley. Sam is a retired state soil environmental specialist with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. And uh, it's always special to be able to get Sam to come back out of retirement for a moment just to talk to us and bring his years of wisdom uh, on soils and the many things he's seen and experienced and done. Uh, Sam, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Skip. Appreciate yeah. being given the opportunity to be here again. Well, good. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about your background, how you got here. I always like for folks to know who it is that they're, they're listening to. Well, I was raised on a farm up on the High Plains in Bailey County. Uh, got two degrees from A&M, one in chemistry and one in, in soil fertility. Then went to the University of Missouri, got a Ph.D. in soil chemistry. So I'm a soil chemist by training, done a lot of soil fertility work as well. Oh, good. Uh, worked for 16 years at uh, LSU in uh, their agronomy department mm-hmm. and then got the opportunity to come back to A&M and, in 95 and uh, with extension and then also got an opportunity in 2005 to also start doing a little bit of teaching again. Oh boy. So um, had lots of opportunities to to see a lot of different uh, soil chemistry and soil fertility issues here Mm -hmm. in the state of Texas. Since we, since I was a state specialist, uh, got to see a lot of this, a lot of the state with uh, all kinds of different issues. Yeah. Well, I know some people, uh, you know, may hear that, well, we're going to talk about soils, and it's like, oh, man, let's talk about tomatoes and flowers and all that. Well, you don't have tomatoes and flowers without soil, and I, I often tell gardeners that by the time you put a seed or transplant in the ground, you are about 80% of the way to success or failure because you've either chosen something that wants to grow there. Uh, you know, it's fr- like a, a blue spruce from Colorado. You're probably not going to do real well. Uh, you've picked a, so- a spot that's sunny or shady, that's well-drained or poorly drained, that has a good nutrient balance in the soil or is way off. And, and the plant has some pretty strong opinions about all those <laughs> things. And so when you walk off from planting, uh, you know, the, there's a lot we do after that, of course, watering and maybe fertilizing and things. But uh, it, the soil is, is literally the foundation, and it, it pretty much sets the stage for success or failure. So yes, sir. that's why we're spending some time today in soils, and that's why I think it's so important. Uh, I can, I, I guess, I never tried to do it in a percentage basis, but a huge number of the problems that I run into as a county extension agent uh, have their root, if you will, in the soil. <laughs> no pun intended. They are huh? rooted in the soil. That's <laughs> where the problem began. Uh, so uh, let's get into it and start talking about that. Uh, I guess uh, most people have a lawn. Uh, that's a, it, it's just part of having a place in Texas, I think, because you got to have a lawn. Um, and I notice in the spring sometimes our grass gets a yellowing that's uh, – when I look at it it looks like an iron deficiency and then it kind of greens up and then I noticed that this summer of course we went through a really rough drought 
And when we got some rain again, here comes some more of that yellowing. Uh, and what's going on there? Why would, if we have an iron deficiency and we didn't add iron, why suddenly do we not have an iron deficiency? Well, iron, I think we got two different issues there. Okay. <clears throat> I think the one in the spring may be iron. Mm -hmm. I think the one in the fall was probably sodium. Sodium. Okay. And so with, uh, with, the, with the spring or with it, uh, in the spring, uh, iron and also phosphorus mm -hmm. have a uh, kind of a temperature effect okay. on them in, as far as plants are concerned. And so uh, sometimes early in the spring we will see uh, plants that have purpling uh, on their leaves, mm -hmm. and that's that's a phosphorus deficiency, okay. which means we were marginal on phosphorus, okay. and we probably need to put a little bit of phosphorus out. But we need to know we need to know basically what it is, right? How much right. from a soil test, mm -hmm. not just guessing at it. Mm -hmm. And then with the iron, uh, uh, if we've been watering quite a bit, mm -hmm. uh, the sodium has also. Uh, caused the pH of the soil to actually increase. The sodium in the water we're watering with. Right. Yes, mm -hmm. sir. And so uh, when that happens, we're also getting, we have the potential for especially the iron deficiencies. Okay. Uh, even if we may have enough in the soil, but because we've got that elevated pH, uh, usually above 7.5, mm -hmm. that we may get some issues there. Um, there's... Many times what will also go ahead and happen is that that um, temperature, mm -hmm. as the soil warms back up, mm -hmm. then we will get some remediation of, of that. Okay. We normally don't recommend the application of iron okay. in most cases. It gets tied up in the soil so rapidly because mm -hmm. of the reactions that it has with all the different kinds of uh, uh, soil minerals. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can get some reaction from uh, foliar applications sometimes, mm -hmm. but iron's a real tr iron's a, a tricky one to to try to remediate. Okay. Um, I think what we're seeing now mm -hmm. with our with the yellowing mm -hmm. of our plants, I think it's more because of the the sodium that we have applied through the sun, the two and a half months of summer, right. when m most people were overwatering. Yes. And there's a couple of things that if if you have applied a lot of water and you see that yellowing in your in your grass now, especially uh, it may be nitrogen, mm -hmm. but it may also be coming from from sodium as well. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Again, soil test is is critical for that because if your sodium if if the sodium has built up in your soil, then you may have some very high pHs and it may drive it to as much as nine yeah if we've been wow. putting on too much <laughs> and then you really got some That's iron and potential zinc issues I've kind of wondered too if in the drought and the soil gets dry uh, the the root especially the tender root tips uh, could die back and the root tip is where iron is taken up right mm -hmm. and so some of that could be maybe a drought response and now you're watering but it takes a minute to reestablish a, a good root system could yeah. that that, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Well, let's talk about this. Well, I got one more. The, oh, okay. Back to the sodium. <clears throat> on the sodium, again, with a soil test, it'll it, you'll get an information the information from a standpoint if you if there's an issue with it. Uh, if there is, then the remediation for it is the application of gypsum. Okay. And uh, you can uh, we. 
the soil testing laboratory won't necessarily give you a recommendation for gypsum, mm-hmm. but you can call them and ask them based on my sodium concentration, mm-hmm. how much gypsum, gypsum, excuse me, should I apply to do the remediation? Okay. And it is a slow process. Okay. Let's okay. talk. Tell me about that. Okay. This is going to take. Uh, this is going to take months. Okay. For that remediation to occur, because gypsum's not, it, it's fairly soluble, but it doesn't move in the soil real uh-huh. fast. And so what has to happen is the calcium that's in the gypsum will replace the sodium. And then through hopefully <laughs> rainfall, yeah. uh, that sodium actually gets leached out of the, uh, the rooting zone so, over a period of time. But, you know, uh, I've seen it take you know, year, one, two years okay. for some people to get some remediation. I've seen others, t- you know, take only a couple of months. Okay. One thing that you can look for, to s- again, to get an indication if you've got some sodium issues, if you have sidewalks mm-hmm. around, especially close to your grass, when it rains, if you, all, if you see some uh, blackening, on your sidewalks, mm-hmm. kind of almost a goo coming out of the off the soil. Yeah, that is an indication that you've got some high sodium. Mm. The sodium is actually dissolving your organic matter. Okay, and that's running off your soil. And so, whenever you start seeing those kinds of things, you're probably having issues mm-hmm. getting water into your soil as well. And right. that's what that's the primary thing that sodium uh, is so detrimental to soils. Well, that. There is a lot of good information in, in that, what you just said, because people that have lawns just love to overwater them. And, you know, I, I lived in, in Houston prior to moving back to, to the mothership here, and uh, I, it rains like crazy down there. I mean, it, you almost don't need to water your lawn ever down there, really. And I had a neighbor whose sprinkler comes on almost every day it may have been every day and the heads were so misaligned by the way that they sprayed my car in my driveway and so i parked backwards on some days so i could wash the other side but i you know he just water 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 well they don't have a sodium problem down there Uh, and by the way they still sell gypsum in the garden centers even though nobody really needs gypsum in in Mm. most of houston Uh, but uh, that that's another story the um the fact that we overwater our lawns and we're using a water that has so much sodium in it, it, it just what is here, uh, it's just another reason not to waste water. And it, exactly. And in another sense, and you alluded to this, the more we do that and create a soil that is so tight that the infiltration slows down, now watering becomes a little more of a challenge when you really need to water. So it's like a, you, people talk about a win-win situation. It's a lose-lose-lose situation. And and so I think if people in the Brian Cod Station area, especially this whole region, could could think about that, it would yeah. also help them back off of wasting drinking water that they've uh, paid for. And that's a, I mean, that's critical for us. I mean, that we have a limited, you know, people think we've got unlimited supply of, of mm-hmm. drinking water, mm-hmm. but we don't. Uh, yeah. It's a very if you, uh, small amount of the total amount of water that we have on this this earth a very small and amount. so uh mm-hmm. it it is getting it is and it will continue to get more and more critical from the standpoint of of uh having what we call potable water water right. we can use easily yeah. now we can take the salt out of the ocean water mm-hmm. sure we can and we got plenty of water out there get out your checkbook but it costs <laughs> a whole lot of money to do that kind of stuff and so yeah uh we, 
we need to really conserve what we yeah. the good water that we do have. Well, we do, and so now we're talking about well, you're paying for it, and now we're not. It's not an unlimited supply, and more and more people are moving here, so it's not going to get better. And then on top of it all, it's messing your soil up if you overdo it. Why? Why waste it? Yes, sir. Uh, so I guess uh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it seems like that's enough reason right there mm-hmm. to, to stop it. But I appreciate that uh, comments about sodium because it is it is an issue that we do deal with. And you mentioned. Um, you know the calcium and the and the sodium uh calcium helps replace the sodium on the soil particles so it can be washed away right. uh, over slowly over time uh let let's talk a little bit about um like uh, evaluating your soil uh looking at the soil you have and I'd like you to talk first a little bit about soil testing uh how how would someone go about that how should they go about it and, uh, you know, when you get to the lab, there's a number of different options. There's a regular analysis, and then you can get micros. And, and I won't start answering your question. I'll just leave that now yeah. with you. As, what would you recommend? Well, the first thing is you've got to take a representative sample. And so you have to realize that in your yard, you have m- multiple ways that you take care of that soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, your flower bed, you do some things, too that are different from what you do in the lawn. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have a garden, you treat it differently than what you do the other Mm -hmm. two. And so uh, you want a representative sample from each of those different groups, okay? Uh, And you, by representative sample, I'm talking about multiple subsamples that would be mixed together Mm -hmm. to represent that one area. So when like a lawn. So oh, subsamples, not right. subsoil, but right, subsamples. Okay. And so uh, our soil testing laboratory here at A&M makes the recommendations on the top six inches. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to figure out what the top six inches are. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a or, uh, very much organic material on top, like a thatch in your in mm-hmm. your uh, lawn, or if you have mulch. Mm-hmm in flower beds or garden you want to take that part off that you can tell what it is mm-hmm. once it gets de- decomposed enough to where you can't tell what that organic mm-hmm. material is then that's the top of your soil okay okay so we take that down to six inches uh, an equal amount from the top inch as you get from each inch going down to right. six and uh. so we want you to take um Say, for instance, in a lawn, most of our lawns uh, in town will be uh, larger in the front lawn. Uh, the side lawns are going to be very small, and then the back lawn uh, may be bigger or smaller. So in the bigger part of your lawn, you want to take like three or four samples. Mm-hmm. On each side, you'll take one subsample. And then in the smaller part, you'll take another two or three subsamples. So it comes out to be about 10 subsamples, eight to 10 subsamples that you'll take. Okay. Put that in, uh, well, how do you take the sample? Mm-hmm. Well, most of us are not gonna have uh, push probes or anything mm-hmm. like that, so we're gonna be using a shovel. Okay. So you're gonna dig a hole that's about eight inches deep, mm-hmm. and you're going to dig it deep, uh, wide enough that you can take a one inch slice on one side lay the shovel back all mm-hmm. the way back and not touch the other side of the hole mm-hmm. and then what you're going to do is you're going to take wherever the top of the soil is mm-hmm. after you determine it you're going to take a one inch slice mm-hmm. right out of the middle of that right that you took yeah okay 
So you take the top part off, you take the bottom part off down yeah. to six inches, and then you take that one inch slice out. You take that one inch slice and put it into a clean plastic bucket. Mm -hmm. You're taking the soil sample with a clean shovel, mm -hmm. not rusted shovel. Okay. Okay, because if you do micros, mm -hmm. then you've just contaminated it with mm -hmm. iron and some other things. Right. So now we got the subsamples. We, I'm not we, sure I have a not rusted <laughs> shovel, Sam. Go ahead. <laughs> clean it with a... <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> and take, <clears throat> take those uh, subsamples, mix them together very well, and then you want to put that... Uh, we have uh, the soil testing laboratory. Mm -hmm. If you can go to those or mm -hmm. through the county agents, uh, you can get soil sample bags for mm -hmm. the soil testing laboratory or use uh, Ziploc sandwich bags. Mm -hmm. Okay, I tell people to double bag them, mm -hmm. uh, just because uh, sometimes there's a pebble or something like that in there, and it can tears the bag, tears the bag and then you, you know, your samples all over the place rather than in the bag. How much soil? Uh, you need that Ziploc sandwich bag, two thirds full. Okay. Uh, on the soil testing bags that we have, there is a mark it's, that's okay. a fill line, mm -hmm. and so you want to make for sure that you get your sample. It amounts to about two cups, or. Uh, how much? Probably pretty close to that. Pretty yeah. close? Okay. Pretty close to that. All right. And so now you mark it, label it well. Mm -hmm. um, I usually put uh, a piece of paper with a uh, permanent marking pen with that information on inside, mm -hmm. and then I also mark it on the outside. And then okay. that way there's two places. Hopefully I don't lose them both. Okay. And so now we've got a sample for the flower bed. Mm -hmm. We've got a sample for the garden. We've got a sample for the lawn. Mm -hmm. If you have fruit trees, you need another sample. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're sampling all those different places that you're going to mm -hmm. treat the soils differently. Right. Sip those to the soil testing laboratory as soon as you collect the sample. Mm -hmm. don't, drive, don't throw them in the back of the pickup or in the trunk of the car and drive around for the next two, three weeks because that changes your soil sample. Okay. You want to ship it just as quick as you can. Mm -hmm. And if you live in this area, you can take it over to the soil testing just laboratory drive it because it's, uh, if it's, it's on F&B mm -hmm. uh, road. Yeah, behind those big oil tanks off Welburn, just <laughs> north of campus. That's yeah. kind of the fast, easy way to yeah. get <laughs> So uh, very easy to take it take it to them and everything uh, my suggestion is that you do the routine analysis okay first uh, the routine analysis is going to give you pH so the acidity or basicity of your sample electrical conductivity which is how salty it may be mm -hmm. uh, then nitrogen phosphorus potassium calcium magnesium I think sodium and sulfur yeah yeah your sample comes back and it has a pH over 7.5. Mm -hmm. The next time you take your soil samples, then do routine plus micros. Okay. The micros adds iron, manganese, zinc, and copper mm -hmm. to, the, to, uh, to the analysis. Uh, how often should you take your soil samples? Uh, I usually tell people for the first uh, probably two to three years, take one on a yearly basis. That gives you a... Uh, kind of a baseline okay and then after that about every three years okay because if you really look at what how we treat our uh, soils around our homes and things like that we don't change it very often right in fact most of the nutrients we put back into the soil mm -hmm. 
because we mulch mm-hmm. the Re- lawns. Return clippings. We return the clippings mm-hmm. uh, in our flower beds, our gardens. Mm-hmm. So we don't change those nutrient levels yeah. very much. And so if you get, you know, if you from year to year, your soil test analysis comes back really close to the same thing, mm-hmm. it's okay. That's good. Because that's about what it's supposed to do okay. because you're recycling those nutrients. Okay. Well, and uh, soil testing, I think you had a kind of a recipe if you're going to bring in a soil or a soil mix, mm-hmm. uh, for, like someone's going to go out and they're going to buy something from a lot where they're selling, got big piles of soil and things. Right. Uh, would you talk a little bit about that? How would, how would someone um, unofficially, uh, you know, kind of assess what, yeah. what they're looking at? <clears throat> well, many of those that I, ha- the, the ones that I have seen analysis on over the years, most of them are very high in nutrient content to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> we'll start with how to choose what you want to put out there. And so what I normally would, would tell people to do is to go in there and look at the different materials. Uh, many times they'll have manures in them. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have the uh, yeah. odor. <laughs> or mushroom compost. Or mushroom compost. Mm-hmm. So you'll have some odors associated mm-hmm. with them. And so the next thing to do is to feel of them. If they feel like sandpaper, real gritty, uh, real they're probably going to be high in sand. Okay. Uh, if you rub them together and they feel almost like talcum powder, then they probably have quite a bit of silt in them. And that can, that can be an issue we'll talk about in just a second. And then the ones that will probably work good, have a little bit of grit and a little bit of softness to mm-hmm. them, but, but don't have anything that's, that's a real hard clump. Mm-hmm. That's the clays. Okay. So if you've got some little particles, but you can't break those little mm-hmm. squares apart, uh, there may be a lot of clay in there somewhere. Clay. Or if it's wet and it just slips off like grease, that's, right. that's probably yeah. a clay. Yeah. So now what you want to do is, you, uh, before you go, you always want to take a little test kit with you. And that little test kit's going to be a clear plastic cup, mm-hmm. paper, uh, fil- uh, filter paper for coffee, mm-hmm. and then a bottle of water. All right. And so you're going to fill your cup with the one that you think you want to, want to buy. Mm-hmm. You're going to fill it about half full with that material. And you're going to tap it down to, s- mm-hmm. to simulate settling because they will settle. And then the next thing you're going to take that coffee filter and put it down on the surface of the soil and kind of mash it in. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to take your water and fill, put about half as much water in there as you have soil. Mm-hmm. And then you want to watch what happens to that wetting front where the water moves. Okay. If it goes straight through and it's to the bottom before you even blink your eyes, that's not going to hold water. And so if you build a raised flower bed, you get a rainfall event and it goes out the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, the second thing is if it's real silty, sometimes that silt will set up just like concrete. And so many times whenever you're adding that water, it'll just kind of set there mm-hmm. and won't move hardly at all. The kind that you're looking for, you can actually see the wetting front move, but it's moving slowly through the soil. And that's the one that you want to that you want to purchase. Okay. And then once you've made that decision, you also want to take a soil sample. And you want to send that to the soil testing laboratory, again, because many times the nutrient level in those materials is going to be very high. And high enough that you may never have to apply anything with the exception of some nitrogen, nitrogen over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's some good advice. Uh, 
I know that uh, the soil mixes can vary quite a bit, and depending on the parent material that they came from, and often things called topsoil are not topsoil. They're the, whatever's on top, whatever whatever's got on there. top of the soil yeah, <laughs> of that geologic material after they've got through scraping right, it. Right. Well, <clears throat> speaking of uh, whatever's on top of the soil, uh, a lot of times when you build a new neighborhood. You know, the builders go in, and their concern is, I want to put a nice, solid concrete pad on the ground, and I don't want it to move around. And so there's a lot of bulldozing and scraping and leveling and piling up and everything. And our soil profiles just get turned all over the place. And then sometimes stuff gets brought in mm -hmm. uh, from outside the area. And would you comment on that a little bit? And maybe in a way that a homeowner uh, is going, okay, so now what do I do about that? Yeah. I'm in that situation. But why is that a problem? Well, many times one of the things that they use is called a, uh, they call it red dirt, or at least that's what I've heard them call it. Uh, and uh, I, I've been told by several people that use it that it'll grow anything. Well, I have personal experience that shows that it doesn't grow anything. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's a difficult material to, to work with. Mm -hmm. It does set up hard. Mm -hmm. And so um, you, have to do some, you have to do some amending to it. Uh, one of the things is to bring it before you put your lawn down, um, if you can, or flower beds or anything like that, is go ahead and haul in some material that you have diligently de 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 mm -hmm. decided that, you know, this is a material that I, I want to use. Mm -hmm. uh, and then mix it in with that red dirt. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that usually takes care of the, uh, of the potential issues with it. Mm -hmm. If your lawn's already established, you go out and you collect a soil sample in the lawn, flower bed, and things like that, and you notice that you've got this nice red material in there that around here doesn't belong, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, or at least over in this part of the, this part of the county. You get over in the Brazos, you, yeah. you got a different story. But uh, in this in this area, we typically don't have real red soils. Mm -hmm. uh, then. Uh, Probably the best thing is to is to add a little bit of organic material, organic matter, mm -hmm. um, over a period of time, uh, slowly and gently, mm -hmm. uh, so that you don't over apply nutrients because most of what you're going to be using is is what we'd consider to be soil amendments, mm -hmm. not an actual fertilizer. Um, aeration, uh, if you can aerate your lawns, especially. Mm -hmm. um, then that's a, that's a possibility to help because that helps to get uh, things in those holes that yeah. uh, kind of mixes. Yeah, mixes things. if you aerate and then spread a little top dressing mm -hmm. over it, uh, then that helps. Yeah. That helps. Okay. So uh, it's more of a difficult thing to to fix mm -hmm. if you've got already got your vegetation in there as compared to if if they put it out uh, and you can get it in get some remediation done before the before the plants are actually in. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's see where do I, where do I want to go with this? I, I think that there there's a lot of misconception of w what nutrients plants need and what amounts. And um, you know when I was starting off my career it seemed like triple 10 and triple 13, 10 20 10 were really common recommendations. Uh, now, fortunately, they're not. And uh, so why why is that? Why d does a plant need as much nitrogen as phosphorus as potassium? And why do we 
why wouldn't we just give an even amount so we have a, I'll say, balanced soil because we put the same amount of nutrients on yeah. it? Well, um, you know, as a rule of thumb, uh, the nitrogen is typically some in a, in a plant, and what a plant requires is usually going to be somewhere between three and four times what the phosphorus is. Okay. As as P two O five as as percent nitrogen, and then the potassium can be two to four percent. Two to four times. Two to four times of the phosphorus. Of of the phosphorus. Yeah, and so it's it's quite similar to nitrogen. Okay. So as a rule of thumb, we we a lot of times we'll talk about a four one three four one two ratio of percent nitrogen to percent P two O five to percent K two O. Um, that's just if you're starting from zero, mm-hmm. okay? Right. Uh, one of the things that uh, that has happened over the years is that uh, phosphorus um, has become an issue in some cases uh, from a water quality standpoint. And so if we're always putting out the same amount of phosphorus as we're putting out nitrogen, uh, we're putting out way too much phosphorus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every one of us homeowners can raise their hand and say, okay, we've done that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've contributed to water, surface water quality issues mm-hmm. uh, in our area. Phosphorus is a big deal when it, it, can moves, be a big when deal. it moves off site mm-hmm. like that. We've always had plenty of nitrogen mm-hmm. in our surface water bodies to cause algal blooms. Mm-hmm. But the key issue has, has, become, or has been phosphorus. And so because of dead and decaying vegetation, that... Phosphorus coming off of that, uh, over-application of it from a nutrient standpoint, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's an organic source or an inorganic mm-hmm. source. Uh, over-application of phosphorus yeah. uh, has contributed to that issue as well. And so what it does is it speeds up a process called eutrophication. Eutrophication is, is basically the weathering process of a surface water body. Mm-hmm. Well, when we add other things that speed that process up like we have with phosphorus in some places then we get the algal blooms we get the low dissolved oxygens in those water bodies Mm -hmm. Uh, we end up with nasty stinky water and if it goes far enough then we also get the fish kills yeah the dead zones where rivers pour out into the gulf and things like that yeah well, that's that's interesting. Uh, let's talk about this a little bit more. Um, another thing I've noticed is, well, I say I've noticed, I know it's just a chemical fact that when you put all these nutrients on the surface of your lawn, we're assuming this is in a rototilled garden, you put them on the surface year after year. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you could come back five years later and 10 years later, and almost all the phosphorus you put on the ground is in the top inch or so. Uh, it, it's primarily right up there at the top, whereas, of course, nitrogen washes. It's very easily moved. Mm-hmm. And potassium pretty well. Mm-hmm. Not as yeah. much as yeah. nitrogen, but more than phosphorus, oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so now we're creating in this zone up at the top an excessive amount of phosphorus. Uh, that's another reason why, like, a triple 13 would mm-hmm. become a problem pretty quick. Yeah. Unless you need it. Unless you need it. Unless you need it. My soil test... Yeah. We moved into our home in 1995. I take soil tests about every three years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when I, I'm still using triple 13 because my soil has not changed you at still all. Need, you still need I phosphorus. I still need all three yeah. of them That's at good. about the same amount. 
well, that's what the recommendation comes back as. And so that's interesting. <laughs> well, I have uh, well, and it phosphorus because it there may be a lot there, but that doesn't mean there's a lot available. available that's right. another factor uh, that you can have a significant. In fact, you want to have a significant amount because only some of it is going to be available each year. But right. you know, uh, Sam, when I was in um, Travis County years ago as a county extension agent. We did a study for the water quality part of the city of Austin uh, in northwest Austin, and we sampled 200 homes, uh, the yard sample. You were part of that. And uh, not one needed phosphorus mm-hmm. out of 200. And when you looked at and the recommendation, the, the way they analyzed it changed, so the numbers you were looking for changed. But at that time, I think it was like once you get past 20 or something, it was or 60, it was enough phosphorus. Was it 60? Mm-hmm. We had we had yards that were 200, and so you put in your will for your great 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 <laughs> grandchildren to not add any phosphorus to the to the lawn, and that that yeah. really made an impact because that was a clay soil also, a black yeah. clay, yeah. and uh, we can easily get in that situation here. So yeah. just something else to think about. Yeah. And then when we return, and then what hap- what ends up happening is that because it's sitting right on the surface, we always have soil erosion. Mm-hmm. I don't care how thick our soils, our, mm-hmm. our, our vegetation is, mm-hmm. you can look uh, after a har- after a rain, mm-hmm. go out and just get a scoop of the water that's running off yeah. of your uh, lawn yeah. or down the uh, the gutter, yeah. and just let it sit. Yeah. And you'll see within a couple of hours, if not quicker, you'll see sediment down mm-hmm. at the bottom of it. And it looked like it was clear water coming yeah. off. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, that's where the that's phosphorus where the is getting into our surface water bodies mm-hmm. because it's coming off of our properties. Well, and, you know, the, the saying that all land drains to some body of water, whether it's an underground aquifer, a stream, a lake. Uh, so everyone listening to this program, go stand in your yard, and where you're standing drains to some body of water. Right. Uh, and and in, in the watershed protection program I was working with in Austin, they used to say, you dump it, you drink it, uh, because <laughs> it went into the... the uh, uh, Edward's, Edward's aquifer there. Quickly, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so, or you dump it, you swim in it, may be another good way to put it. All right, well, I think we've, <laughs> I think we've covered the phosphorus pretty well on that. Um, one of my pet peeves uh, when I go into the garden centers is to see fertilizers sold for a particular plant. Um, maybe it's a rose food or maybe it's a citrus food, or maybe it's a tomato food. Uh, will you comment about that a little bit? Uh, and You know, the what are they doing there, and why might not that, why might a tomato food not be the best thing for your tomatoes? Well, again, it, most of those are, are based upon not having nutrients in your soil. And so <clears throat> some of it, those ratios are based on some science mm-hmm. okay um, I don't know whether all of it is or not but some of it is based on some on, on science and so if we're dealing with a potted plant mm-hmm. that might be okay because mm-hmm. uh, you got a confined root system right and, yeah. right 
Store-bought soil. Yeah. Whereas, and it's not soil. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Media. Media. Yeah. Plant media. I, you know, I always have to remember <laughs> when I think about it, I, I get paranoid because this radio show, I'm, I'm having entomologists, plant pathologists, soil scientists, horticulture PhDs that potentially could hear what I say. And so <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know if I can say anything. <laughs> you do a great job. So Go anyway, ahead. Uh, anyway, um, f- again, from the standpoint of the, uh, if they're if they're in potting soil, potting mixes, then those are probably sufficient mm-hmm. or uh, are probably good for the plants. Okay. In other words, but we're but like I said, they're, they're, the roots are constrained. We have uh, water's basically constrained for mm-hmm. them and everything, and those nutrients. If there's excess nutrients, they're not going. They're really mm-hmm. not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we have a garden and we have a row of tomatoes and we put that on that row of tomatoes, uh, more than likely that's not what that tomato really needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always ask when I do the master gardener programs for for several counties. I always ask the the students. I says, "How many of you have grown tomato trees?" <laughs> and you see these hands kind of creep up and say, "I have." And you know it's too much nitrogen. Yeah. And it you know plants are kind of like we are. Mm-hmm. If somebody's going to spoon feed you everything you need, you're not going to pick up the spoon to feed yourself. Right. And we get fat and sassy. Right. Well, that's what happens to a plant too. <laughs> they you don't have to get personal with us. Yeah. <laughs> they don't uh, uh, get to the point where they realize I got to reproduce. Right. And right. so we sometimes we have to put them under some kind of stress mm-hmm. to get them to go ahead and set fruit and things like that. Well, and that also goes back to our soil testing because an analogy I like to use for this when I'm talking to volunteers, master gardeners, and, and the public is it's like if you're, if you're baking a cake. And Sam, if you were... Uh, decided you're going to bake a cake and about you got about half your stuff put together for the cake and you call up and say do I need to add sugar or salt or baking powder how is anybody going to answer that question because they don't know what you've put in the bowl yet mm-hmm. and our soils are that way right and we say 312 or 412 lawn fertilizer but not if fo- potassium is already off the chart or phosphorus mm-hmm. is you know whatever and so those products are yes they're scientifically maybe hopefully set to fit what that plant is most likely going to need a boost of but it doesn't look at what's in your soil and so it may be the worst thing in the world to put on a tomato food may be the worst thing to put on tomatoes or a citrus food may be the worst thing to put on citrus based on your soil so that takes us back to what have your soil tested and know what you're beginning with and work with the soil test lab to and your county extension office and let us get your soil to the best spot. Right. You know, I've been I've had a lot of gardens as I've moved around and I found that as I am adding compost and I'm doing things to the soil, it it ends up being something that, that like you said, all it needs is a little bit of nitrogen here and there because that's so, such a volatile um uh element. In fact, I almost ignore the nitrogen on the soil test form when it comes in because it can be really low, but that's not a problem. We can fix that, yeah. you know. So Yeah. And that's what we that. want it to be. Yeah. When you send in a soil sample, we want your nitrogen to be testing out at 1 because what that does is it tells us mm-hmm. as soil scientists that your plant 
we hope, mm-hmm. that your plant has taken up all that nitrogen that you applied in the growing during that year. Okay. Whereas if you still have some left over, you mm-hmm. over applied it. Over applied. And so we want that to be zero, one, basically one. Right. When the soil test is done, right. and then we can give you a recommendation to mm-hmm. grow the plant that you want to try to grow. And there's some plants that you know it doesn't take but just a little bit of nitrogen mm-hmm. to make a huge difference. Yes. And a lot of our natives are that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of our fruits. Are that way the legumes that yeah. we plant many of our fruits are that mm-hmm. way as well so you know if you put out too much yeah. uh, then you don't you don't get the results that you would really like to be getting but boy they sure grow fast yeah and they look pretty <laughs> <laughs> that's right well that's that's uh, good advice uh, I appreciate that uh, so we're talking about these special soil tests and what your what your soil most needs I think a, another thing I want to point out uh, is and this happened, I don't know how many years ago, but not too long ago, they created the urban soil test form. So there was, right. used to just be a soil test form. Well, now, if you're going to, if you've got a pasture Bermuda grass for the cattle or a, a cotton field, that's a different test than the urban. And on the urban one, well, it's a different form. It's a different It's a different form, form and it gives you results based on different goals right yeah okay right so on the urban form it'll say like roses or vegetables or something like that and so i encourage home gardeners to use the urban soil test form and i know when you see it you think i live in bee dyes why do i need urban (laughs) soil test this is not an urban area but it urban just means in your yard horticulture yeah you live in town yeah Yeah. (laughs) or it's it's you know around your home Run. It's not not an agricultural field. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas the but, other ones, you know, really geared right. to the agricultural and they, field. And I think you were about to to correct me on this, but they they test this all the same. Exactly. It's just that you know when they give you your results, they know you're not growing an acre of cotton. You're you're growing a, a row of tomatoes. And if even if you use that other form, and if you specify that it's you know my lawn, my garden, whatever, mm-hmm. you'll get your results. Uh, recommendations back in pounds per thousand square feet okay not pounds per acre mm-hmm. okay whereas with the, from an agriculture standpoint if you said coastal Bermuda grass then you get pounds per acre yeah okay so it, you can you can use that one for both ways uh, but you get more uh, plant options mm-hmm. with the urban one for around our homes good good well I, I would also like uh, to talk about um, the um, organic fertilizers and amendments. And I want to take those single, uh, separately initially here. Uh, orga- a lot of people are interested in gardening organically. Mm-hmm. They, they would like to for various reasons, some uh, reasonable, some probably uh, misguided in terms of, of what certain things will do uh, toward our health. But uh, Talk a little bit about what are some characteristics of an organic fertilizer as opposed to a synthetic fertilizer. What are what are some things you need to be aware of, or maybe even down to economics and things. Okay, well the first thing is in order for it to be a fertilizer, mm-hmm. it has to have at least the three numbers on it. First one's a percent nitrogen, second one's a percent P two O five, and mm-hmm. the third one's a percent K two O. There may be others. Mm-hmm. But it'll tell you what they are. Mm-hmm. Like it may be a dash S and give you a percentage for sulfur. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, 
the numbers for organic fertilizers are usually going to be much lower mm-hmm. uh, than what they are for the commercial fertilizers mm-hmm. or the syn- synthetic com- mm-hmm. uh, fertilizers. Um, but those are guaranteed analysis. And tell us why that is. Because I can't, I can't scoop out the rabbit pellets underneath the kid's cage and sell it as fertilizer, can I? No. That's against well, you, the law. You could, but you would probably be in jail. Well, the kids would have to visit me in jail. <laughs> right. Which that's, yeah. Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah. It, so it, it's a regulated um, uh, number. Mm-hmm. And feed and fertilizers, your own A&M campus, mm-hmm. uh, are the ones that take care of make going out and doing spot checks mm-hmm. and also uh, doing the analysis of those particular yeah. things because the companies have to send those samples in yeah. to have them analyzed. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing because oh, yeah. if you live in Texas and you go buy fertilizer, you know what's in it. You know exactly. the numbers represent what's in the bag. Exactly. That's a, that, that, and so it's not it, an organic or synthetic thing. It's, a, it's just a fertilizer. It's thing. just a fertilizer, but it's got to have those three numbers. Mm-hmm. So the organic fertilizers, like the nitrogen, may be five. Mm-hmm. Uh, very seldom do you see it more than about six or seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, phosphorus, maybe one or two. Sometimes it'll be a little higher, especially higher. if it's got poultry litter in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the potassium, um, you never know it, where potassium is going to be. And it could be a zero. If they have less than 1% in them, mm-hmm. many times they will be actually zeros. Now, the thing that people have to realize is that every organic source of nutrients, whether it be a fertilizer or just an amendment, has all of it in there. Mm-hmm. It may be, like I said, it may be low, and yeah. so from a guaranteed analysis, it may be less than one, and so they list zero, mm-hmm. but it's not zero. Right. Well, another fact is organic is basically something that was once alive, an right. organic fertilizer, and maybe a plant, or even case of blood meal, it was animal-based, right. uh, or bone meal. Mm-hmm. But um, because of that, you don't just have three numbers. Right. You've got there's going to be zinc in it. There's going to be, because for a plant to live, you got to have some zinc for yeah. that plant to have grown and lived. And you got to yeah. have some copper and you've got to have some manganese. And, yeah. and so they're all there. You get a, you get a, maybe a little better blend as you or Well, let me say it this way. You get a more, uh, more different nutrients present mm-hmm. in an organic than you would in most of the synthetics. Yeah. Most of the synthetics are not going to have all the other stuff. Yeah. So the next thing is um, it's that nutrient is in, the majority of that nutrient is going to be in the organic form, which means it's tied up with the proteins, amino acids, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And so it's not available to the plant. And so when we want to use an organic, we need to get that organic out. Um, If it's in the spring, we want to put it out about a month before we need those nutrients. Really? Okay. Because what has to happen is the microorganisms, or the, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent some of the macroorganisms, mm-hmm. have to uh, mineralize mm-hmm. that organic source into what we call an inorganic source of those nutrients. Right. So nitrogen, for instance. Nitrogen's gonna be tied up in the amino acids, mm-hmm. okay? And to get it to be available to a plant it Mm -hmm. has to be either nitrate Mm -hmm. or ammonia Ammonia. and so the microorganisms are the guys that do the majority Mm -hmm. of that for us and so that's what it takes now i'm gonna go ahead and compare organics uh, soil amendments 
Okay, now we're shifting from fertilizer to amendments. Right. Okay. So the soil amendments do not have the numbers on there. And all kinds of things. Manures are soil amendments. Okay, mm-hmm. they're great soil amendments. But you don't know what's what the nutrient content that's actually right. in them. And so uh, in the state of Texas, we do not have regulations for soil amendments. Most states do. And so the best thing I can tell people is just buyer beware, mm-hmm. because all kinds of things that cannot be sold in other st- in most other states, mm-hmm. they market them here in Texas. <laughs> oh, and gosh. so, for lack of a better term, we do have some garbage that gets yeah. sold here. It's the Wild West. So. <laughs> so, and also the claims that can be made. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, that... Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the terms that I've heard used and and things, but it, you know, it, and it may be a decent thing, or it may have a benefit, you know, that um, has some benefit, to, but oh gosh, the overselling. Uh, I've that, seen some organic sources that have a list of all the elements. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything in the periodic table. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And it's good for the plant. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we only have, well, you know, depending on when I took up, there were 16. Mm-hmm. Now I think there's 21, mm-hmm. what they call essential elements, but it's not the whole periodic table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Bioactivator. There's a there's a good one. Uh, I was trying to think of some of those other terms that just, um, you know, buyer beware. Yeah. But so that. Uh, so that's not to say an amendment is bad. It's just no. to say an amendment is not regulated, so you you have no guarantee as to what it is or is not going to contain or right. do. My suggestion is that, that if you're looking at a particular soil amendment, find out what that soil amendment is, mm-hmm. and then look up Google, Google mm-hmm. it. And if it has research information from Extension or yeah. Experiment Station, yeah. A tip That's that I, a tip I always give our master gardeners is put that term you're looking for in Google and then a space and say site s i t e colon dot e d u. So it's saying Google, I want you to look for this word or mm-hmm. words, but I want you only want you to look at sites that end in dot e d u. And that way you get past all the I'm selling you stuff to the Here's what research has good. said, and it, it's a good way to cut through the clutter. Yeah. Because all the places that sell it, it's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> I know. I know. I once saw a product, and I will not tell the name, but <laughs> the listeners, you probably heard of it. Uh, and there was a, a I don't know, it, it looked like a, maybe a Eastern European woman with uh, uh, standing out in a field, holding two turnips and one looked like a radish and one looked like a basketball <laughs> and they used this on the one that became a basketball you know that was the proof right there i mean who look at that can you not see that that did good and so yeah fortunately research is a little more uh diligent than yeah than that exactly approach. well good uh so uh, talking about um uh, the organic fertilizers i think it's also worth noting uh that um when we f- were initially trying to get people to quit bagging their lawn clippings and even bagging and getting rid of leaves, uh, it, uh, we were we were talking about how nature works. And you know, you go look at a beautiful forest or a uh, the giant 
grasslands across mid-America when the settlers were coming across grass as deep as a horse's belly thing. Mm. Nobody was fertilizing those. Now, that's not to say we don't need fertilizer to grow things, uh, especially if you're trying to get the most corn per acre that you can and so mm -hmm. on. But it's just to say that those microbes are really rule the world. Uh, they're taking the leaves from the trees and the, the droppings from the birds flying through the forest and everything else, and they're turning it into a plant food and cycling it back uh, so that those organic types of nutrients that we were talking about uh, are, are cycled, and then they go into the plant or they go into other microbes, you know, their right. bodies, and then they die and they release them back, and it's part of a cycle. And I know a lot of gardeners appreciate the, that natural cycle. You know, maybe they're not coming from a standpoint of if I use a chemical fertilizer or a synthetic fertilizer, it's going to kill my soil kind of thing. But, but just from the standpoint of I like to work, you know, within the natural system. And that's where we get into seeing the benefits of compost and, and whatnot. Yeah. But let, from, a research, from a research standpoint, what I've seen in, in many cases is if we take half the nutrients that we need mm -hmm. from an organic source and the other half from the synthetic source, that we actually get better production. And why is that? synthetic is available right, right now, now. Mm -hmm. whereas the organic is a slower release mm -hmm. and so we get the long lasting from the organics we get the quick right. reaction from the from the synthetics and so mm -hmm. uh, if that plant needs a kickstart right now it's got the kickstart you can do that whereas if it we're just putting out organics you know mm -hmm. it's going to be a month six weeks before it's going to get any kick mm -hmm. and then it gets just a little kick mm -hmm. because not all those nutrients are available at one time they're available over a period of time. So what, what, that's a good point. And when I'm talking to home gardeners, uh, we're always recommending add some compost to your soil periodically. Uh, can you d talk a little bit about what is a little compost periodically? In other words, <laughs> would you say that if you tilled a, a one inch of compost into your vegetable garden once a year, that would be about right? Or And, I, and I, I'm Asking you a question that is unfair, I realize, because it's it's all the yeah buts that are attached to it. But uh, is or is that overloading on nutrients? Uh, is, what do you think? It can be. Okay. It can be, and uh, I'm always going to go back to a soil test before you apply anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you don't know what the nutrient content is on your compost, mm -hmm. get an analysis, mm -hmm. and so you know the. You know the nutrient analysis or nutrient content in your compost. You know what your soils need. Then you can apply that compost according to what you need. Mm -hmm. um, Dillo dirt mm -hmm. um, is is a, a product that sell that has come out of Austin. Yeah, it's it's <coughs> it's the <coughs> excuse me the the uh, waste recycling right. product. It, yeah. It's trees and municipality. Municipal solid so, waste. Yeah, which... Solid waste, yeah. And so um, <clears throat> what they recommend is that you put out uh, an inch mm -hmm. every three months, I think is what it was. Okay. Ooh, that's, uh, that's we found out, we, uh, in Dr. Tony Proven through the soil testing laboratory mm -hmm. and through research that, that was conducted through them, that, you know, we're talking about an eighth of an inch per year. Is sufficient for all your for all your nutrients. Oh my And gosh. so, you know, it's easy to kind of get an estimate that I'm putting out an inch. But whenever you're trying to talk about an eighth of an inch, 
Good luck. We're going to put out an inch, aren't yeah, we? <laughs> that's, well, that's right. But, but but I know home gardeners. You know, it, we're all into recycling. And my goodness, I'm a I'm a leaf thief. I mean, if you've got if they're on the curbside, they're in my truck and they're coming home with me. Uh, my, in fact, my uh, my daughter uh, took uh, my truck to college when I lived in Houston. She and so I was left with a Toyota Corolla. And you, I I have a picture. I uh, wish I could show it on the radio, but you can put 13 bags of leaves in and on a Toyota Corolla. Good you, Lord. Yeah, first you open the trunk and you put two in the bottom, and that holds the lid at an angle so you can start stacking leaves over the top of the vehicle anyway. Oh, my. Uh, so, but you mentioned Dillo Dirt. I have to tell my favorite Dillo Dirt story. I had my, uh, my ag agent co- co-worker over in Travis County when I was there. He, he thought that they missed the mark. They should have put on, on Dillo Dirt, there's a little of you in every bag. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, <laughs> they thought it was funny, but they didn't change. Uh, also, uh, we'll go here anyway. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've often heard that if I'm wondering if I should say something, the answer is always no. But um, <laughs> I met the folks that sell Millorganite, which yeah. is Millor- Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Same sludge. thing. So mm-hmm. they call it Millorganite. Mill mm-hmm. is in Milwaukee. Organite is in Donass. Uh, or that's not fair. But mm-hmm. And I, I told the guy, I said, you know, you have missed the marketing thing. Instead of these bag colors you've used, you need to put it in red, white, and blue bags, and you need, you need to call your product Yankee Doodle. And he did not think that was funny at all. I thought it was hilarious. So that just that didn't go over either. Enough, huh? enough jokes along that uh, line. For now. Well, Sam, it has been wonderful having you here today. Uh, I always learn something from you, and uh, being able to draw kind of from your experience and wisdom and, and learning over the years uh, is is valuable. And I know it has been to a lot of the folks that are that are listening in today. Well, I hope so. And I think again, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, it's, it's a valuable opportunity. So remember, the most important thing you do if you want a lawn, if you want beautiful flowers or bountiful vegetables, is first spend a dollar on your soil and then worry about spending a dollar on your plants. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.